A quick warning. This episode contains discussion of sexual violence and the depiction of traumatic events. Listener discretion is advised. In September 2018, Christine Blaisley Ford walked into the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing to provide testimony of her very real experiences of sexual assault. She courageously shared what now appointed Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh had done to her over 35 years before. Now, during these hearings, a male college acquaintance had reached out to me, profusely apologizing in a text message for not listening to me when I told him no many years ago. To be honest, I had completely forgotten about that incident. At the time, I brushed it off as a bad choice. If I allowed him into my dorm room that night, many years ago, it was my fault that it happened. That text message sent me into a spiral. It impacted me in such a profound way that if I'm being honest, my healthy and a whole sexual relationship was completely bulldozed by that trauma. That moment took me and my partner through a very dark and complicated season, one that we are still navigating through the wreckage of. It is my very unfortunate experience to know more women who experience some type of sexual violence than not. Women who have pushed aside mucky sexual experiences and now try to navigate healthy sexual relationships with their current partners. Women who have been silenced and ignored by their families and friends when they bravely told their stories. And that's really not fine. Hey, I'm Rachel, and this is the It's Fine podcast. talking to my friend C.G. Wagner. She's the executive director of nonprofit Louder Than Silence, a nonprofit for survivors of sexual violence. In this episode, we'll talk about the cost of sexual violence in a person's life and some of the many unexpected ones that you probably aren't thinking about. What some of the barriers are to getting emotional and physical support if you are a victim of sexual violence, how to identify safe people and create boundaries for people who can't receive your story and so much more. CG relentlessly believes women. I can't wait for you to hear from her. Let's get into it. Hey, CG, thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad that you can be here with us and talk about this topic. Would you be willing to share a little bit about what brought you to therapy and like how did sexual violence impact you and like the way that you move through the world, whether that be through your career, relationships, or the ways that you interacted with others? Yeah. How much time do we have? That's (laughs) There's a lot to unpack. So I'll start with how I I had seen my own life impacted. But in the workshops we do with Lana and the Silence, we talk about these like eight different areas of health and recognizing how all these different areas have been impacted. Some things where you're like, oh, sure, you know, yeah, like you have you have flashbacks. Okay, so, you know, you have some some PTSD symptoms, some psychological stuff, maybe some emotional challenges, but really seeing the whole scope of it. The average survivor of one single sexual assault, it costs $120,000. That's just like the, the personal cost of like therapy expenses, medical expenses, um, like work challenges and missing work and things like that. And so like financially, we have a very hard number that we can say like, yes, we know it is this. But personally, just seeing like struggling to trust people again and have like healthy relationships and having an emotional response that was like warranted for the situation. So I was 
personally, either in this like situation of almost no emotional response, where it'd be like a horrific thing had happened, it'd be like, eh, okay, I guess that happened too. Or it would be like some tiny, tiny thing. And I just could not manage one more tiny little thing. And so there's no like in between, there's no ability to just be like, oh, this is normal life that I can go with the ebb and flow of normal life. And like intellectually, there's a lot of things around like memory loss and like memory gaps and all that. So like if somebody's asking me about like a certain time in my career, it's a real struggle for me because it overlapped with some of the stuff that I had experienced. And so even just trying to like piece together all these things and you're like, okay, I feel like an idiot. Like, why can I not like put these pieces together? Like, this is my own life. And just like how hard it is even to communicate those things to somebody else. I can really resonate with that. The things that your memory just like chooses to not remember. Why does our brain do that? And I think even more so than that, how can we pay attention to maybe the things that we might have blocked that we don't know? And is there really a way to do that? What a great question. <laughs> um, I'm not a neuroscientist, right? This is very much a lay person explaining this. So like anybody who's listening who is a neuroscientist, bear with me. I know it's not all the fancy scientific term. From like the work I do with the clients, and to be clear, we're all peers, right? Like we're all just navigating this together. I'm not a therapist and I'm not trying to be. It's more of just the like, hey, this is my thing. And so, you know, what's your thing? But what I've seen a lot and what I've heard a lot is this sense of like lament over how could I have blocked that? How could I have forgotten that? How could that have just like gone by the wayside? And one of the things that I've really tried to hold on to is something my therapist has told me many times that she's like your body did what it needed to survive the situation and trying to hold on to the yes like this is another outcome of that and like how tragic that is and also my brain was like this is what you need to live through it I remember specifically having one session with my therapist lamenting this idea of like how could I've just blocked this whole thing out and how how is it like it's just hitting me now all these years later and she's like, okay, like, what would you have done differently in the moment? And she's like, what, what, what would have happened if you, like, tried to run away? And I'm like, oh, he would have killed me. There's something in me that just knew that was the answer. And she's like, right, that's what your brain was saying the whole time, is he's going to kill me. And that is what your brain then is working off of, is that idea. So that might mean that you lose this memory but what that means is that you live on the other side of it i think it's really beautiful when our brains and our bodies will do for us even though we would like to believe we have all the control in the world it's a really empathetic and really just a kindness that we can grant to ourselves that our minds and our bodies our spirits will do things to protect us when we cannot control the things around us do you think there are other blockers that prevent people who experience sexual violence to get the support that they need. Yeah, so there there are definitely some barriers, unfortunately. I wish that was not the case. I wish I could answer the question with like, no, there's like everything everybody needs. But there's a lot of pieces to it, right? Like just in the way that there's all these different areas of health that are impacted, how many more resources then really are needed to regain a full sense of self again? And like framing it that way puts it in perspective a little. Oh, it's, it's not just that the person is lacking money to go to therapy. And that's certainly often a part of it. 
But if they also don't have a community and like relationships, safe relationships that they can count on, then like doing this really difficult work, like if you have no emotional support, how can you possibly do that? And so if you don't have a network of people that you feel like you can trust, if you don't have the tools to like work through the emotional ups and downs and and don't have access to those sorts of resources that can be a lot physically, it impacts a person too. I'm currently doing something to address the physical responses that I've dealt with. And that's been a whole journey all in itself. There's an infinite amount of resources needed to get somebody back to a whole self again. And so the barriers are like primarily just lack of access to resources as like the tangible the intangible is the culturally and societally, do we believe women? Yeah. Do we believe this human standing in front of us who said, this is my experience. I can't remember it. I don't remember the details. I don't know if I screamed. I don't know if I tried to fight him off. I like, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. And having these moments where you can just say like, yes, I believe you. And that is so often the first step that somebody needs to hear somebody else say, I think what you went through was was a really awful thing. Like, start from there. <laughs> we shut down ourselves because other people have shut us down. And really having the support system and having the cultural belief of, yes, we can believe women when they say these things, that's going to make the big difference for people. And a lot of people, unfortunately, don't feel like they have that support. I know this is like a hot take right there. It's unimaginable knowing more women and so many women who have experienced the gambit of sexual violence, whether that be molestation from the same person. I remember many years ago when I opened up about a molestation that happened to me when I was a child, I shared that story with other women in my community and come to find out that same abuser had abused them. But for some reason, we all were quiet, whether that be because mm -hmm. folks didn't believe them or it just wasn't like appropriate to call out an abuser in that particular yeah. time. Right. I'd love to know what you think about that minimization culture and how do we navigate one, that minimization and how can we move forward? Often, and I can't say 100% of the time because I don't know exactly, but often, the people in my life and then people that I've talked to who are the most likely to minimize have also experienced it themselves. And so there's often this sense of like, well, I like I didn't have support. I didn't have resources and I figured it out. And so the kind of the, like perpetuating the cycle of this is just part of the sorority that we're in. We're women. This is what we deal with. And why do you think you're special? Because like you experienced this. And I think for me, what's been really helpful is just like asking really bare bones questions back around like, do you think it's okay that I experienced that? Like, don't you think that if it's something that's actually a felony that we've identified it's a problem, like societally, and just not like forcing somebody to address what they've been through but also allowing the opportunity for that space to be provided. The way I often think about it is when we experience sexual violence, we curl up in a tight little ball 
and we're just, we're in protection mode and we're just, we're trying to make it. We're just trying to make it another day. And so really it's once a person is able to be herself and stand in these spaces and say, no, this is not okay. The amount of work that she's done to get to that point already is huge. And so I think just like giving people the grace to know if they haven't gotten to that point yet, don't shame them for that. Don't pass along that like blaming to somebody else, but just recognize they have their own things that they are protecting themselves from, most likely. And can we extend that idea to them of like, how would I want to be treated? How was I treated when I was at that place? And it's the kind of paying it forward thing. Like when we get a little bit of freedom, like how can we offer that little taste of freedom to the next person? And for me, that really helps against the like, how easy it is to tap into like resentment around that idea of like, why won't you listen? Like, why won't you just listen? And it's okay, maybe there's more there. And if we can provide that, then it helps us be in a healthier place because we're not holding on to trying to force somebody to hear what we're saying. There's so many cultural conversations of women coming forward and talking about their abuse, whether that be directly with their perpetrator or whether like publicly. What do you think about how women should do that? And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here, but I'd love to hear your take on this as you've navigated your own trauma and have helped others navigate theirs. It's a question I get asked a lot. And like you said, there's no cookie cutter answer. It depends a lot on what the person has experienced and who the perpetrator is. Are they currently in the person's life? Are they in a position of power? There's all these different pieces of it that's not so straightforward. It's just like, that's why we know reporting lags, right, for sometimes decades. It's because there's all these other pieces to it. But I think one of the things that I really recommend to a lot of people, especially just starting the journey, is to recognize that most likely online platforms are probably not the best first place to go to share that having the safe people that you can trust and go to over and over again that are within your little circle currently in your life, that's where you get to practice telling the story in my mind because they are going to respond however they respond, hopefully very lovingly and kindly. But when you put it out there into the world for people to, to judge, then if you personally are not in a healthy enough place to deal with you know, whatever comments you might get. It's just going to cause more harm. And so really what it boils down to is, are you doing the thing that is bringing yourself the most health and healing and wholeness and life and all those good things? Or is it something that you feel like you're required to do because this is the right next step or this is what I'm supposed to be able to handle? And I've done that to myself where it's, oh, I should be able to do this. So I'm going to try to force myself to be okay with it and then deal with like panic attacks for two weeks straight. And it's like, oh, maybe I just wasn't ready for that step yet. Can I just be okay with that? Being willing to like take that step back and say, is this providing health for me? A lot of survivors struggle with identifying what they want for themselves. But also there's a sense of I need to do it for other people. If I need to protect other people, I need to warn them. I need to like empower them. And yes, great, all those things. And also, if you're not in a place to do that, are you really empowering somebody? Are you really 
helping be part of the change if it's from a place of reactivity instead of a thoughtful response. And so that's a non-answer of it depends on the situation of the person and all that. But really, it's, is this healthy? Because being a survivor is a long-term healing journey. And I think being in tune with how much time healing takes, right? Just because you share your story to a safe person does not mean that you were healed. I know for myself, like I started my healing journey when I was in college and I was still navigating that healing in the pre-record as I shared earlier in 2018, being Mm -hmm. married to somebody who I love and only made me feel safe. Still navigating that many years later. That journey feels long and arduous and requires some patience. And so you mentioned a little bit about safe people and being able to identify safe people Mm -hmm. as like a starting point. Mm -hmm. What are your tips on identifying who those safe people are and where to find those spaces where you can start navigating this and beginning your journey? Living through sexual violence, whether it was a one-time event or many years of abuse, it tells us we cannot trust ourselves, our bodies will be used against us, we can't trust our intuition, all these things. And so really being able to tap into this idea of I am an intuitive person, that is one of the things that's often taken from survivors is this sense of I can trust myself, I can like, I can know what's going on in my body and I can hear that intuition. I feel because there's so much disconnection happening. And so it's really starting with the, I can hear from myself, And then I can respond to that. And I think we often shut down what our body is telling us. I've been in situations where I've met somebody and just for whatever reason, just started to feel that like panic rise. Then it's like, no, like he's given me no reason to doubt that he's a safe person. Like, you know, and just like shutting it down. But my body is telling me something that like cognitively I don't know. And so I think being okay with saying, I don't understand why my body is saying this, but I'm still going to listen to her. Like she knows something. And so I'm going to trust that she knows something that like I can't actually verbalize. So that's such a big thing that I highly, highly recommend, like living in that practice of connecting with our bodies. Again, when a person is requiring something of us, requiring us to be thankful for them, requiring X action or thing or whatever, And instead, a safe person is one where you say, I don't know how I feel about that. And their response is, okay, if you want to talk more, like, I'm happy to be here. But a non-safe person would be like, so what you just don't want to tell me? It's about them. It's about, like, how the dynamic is impacting them and, like, their responses. And so it could be a very genuinely kind-hearted person, generous person, all those things. But if emotionally they're not able to like be in that moment with you, like that's also unsafe. And it doesn't mean that they're unsafe in every area across the board. It just means in that moment for that conversation, that is the baseline. Some of it is just being able to recognize is the dialogue about what I'm trying to share, right? If the conversation has shifted to that end and I'm sharing my experience, is that person able to just sit in that? Can they cope with this like really painful thing without having their own like exaggerated emotional response, without them trying to minimize it or push it away? Can they just be 
in that moment with me. And that's the thing I would encourage. And you can test the waters with that, right? Like you don't have to go from like, oh, hey, we've hung out once. Next time I'm going to tell you this like horrific thing that happened. It can be like sharing like a sad story about your dog. That can be like the testing the waters, right? Can they sit in that? And then it's like gradually expanding from there. That's how you can tell, is this person safe? At least for conversation. I definitely know culturally, like that is a discernment that I probably have really gravitated towards in the last five years because you want to believe that people can hear you. I'm a person where I'm I'm an open book. I will tell you anything about anything. I don't care. Clearly, (laughs) I will talk talk to anyone and I'm very open. But I think this discernment is really critical to being a mature and even like a healthy person. I won't use the word mature because I think it's more about Mm -hmm. being able to have healthy relationships with people and being aware that not every person needs to know your story. Rather, being comfortable with the idea that there may be a few people who know you deeply and hundreds, tens, I don't know, 100 people, but people who know you enough. And now I will use the word maturity. I think that there's a maturity of your relationships and learning about how to protect yourself. Do you have advice on how to set boundaries? when people are not safe and even maybe know your story and are not willing to respect the boundaries that you might place. I know women who have shared their story, whether that be with like a very close relationship and or someone who you would expect to be close to you, like your mother, and they might hear you, but they won't protect you. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice about how to set boundaries around how to protect yourself when you do share these things and it's not received in a way where it's that person is able to support you. I have some thoughts. Going back to testing the waters, right? Like if it's somebody that you're in a relatively newer relationship that we can test it that way. But when you're talking about somebody who's known you your entire life, right? That's a whole different situation. And I think for me, there was a lot of pain in coming to terms with, am I expecting something that they can't give? That was the boundary is like asking myself, that if I share this, do they have the emotional resources, the relationship resources, whatever, to respond in a way that actually supports me and where I'm at? And it's very painful to realize that the answer is no sometimes with folks that we really want to be supporting us and really we deeply desire that. And yet sometimes it's just being like, yeah, I can't engage on this with you because I know what the result's going to be. And there is, you know, so that that grace though, right, of of still testing the waters even in those situations where you can say, hey, I'm concerned that this is not going to go well, but I want to share this one piece of this with you, right? We can still test it with one one snippet and see, is one snippet okay? Then maybe next time it's three sentences or we can so expand it from there. But I think for me, this idea of boundaries, especially around sharing my story, is like this difference between am I doing this thing, again, for me, for my health, for my well-being, for wholeness, or am I feeling like it's required of me based on some relationship dynamic? And whenever something's required of us, we really get to dive into that and decide, okay, do I want to engage? 
And I think especially for survivors, because that was taken from us. Somebody said, it does not matter what your response is. I'm requiring this of you. And here we are. And so we want to make sure then as we're moving to a healthier place that we're not repeating that in these different settings where we feel required to do something. And so we automatically do it, right? There are going to be times when we feel like for whatever reason, family dynamics, whatever, that we need to do something, but we get to opt in. It's not just say, okay, yeah, sure, fine, whatever, but actually being like, okay, I am at a healthy place. I can opt into this. And it's also okay to tell people in our lives that we want to be closer to and we want to share these things. I want to. I can be honest and say, I really want to share this, but also based on some other interactions, I'm really concerned about what your response is going to be. So can we talk about how to get to a place where we can actually have this dialogue? And sometimes that takes years to get to a place where we can have the dialogue. But it's also knowing that just because a person on the outside wants to know more of our story or wants to hear something from us, it's still up to us to know, is this good for me? And again, that's going back to like being connected with ourselves. We can feel that pit in our stomach when like, we're like, oh, but I don't want to say that to this person. So why are we doing it then? Like to what end? Yeah. I love that you talk about agency. I can't speak to other cultures, but I will say for like mine, right, is that there's this expectation that we just need to bear. I think this is true beyond the Indian culture that we need to bear Mm -hmm. and we need to adjust and not show up as our whole selves or for the sake of appearances. But I love this idea of as we're navigating our sexual traumas, realizing that we are in the driver's seat, that we have the agency, Mm -hmm. that we are allowed to opt in. We can decide who we talk to about it, what boundaries that we set, and even the path that we take to healing. I think that is the most powerful thing. And more than anything, it's really getting in tune with ourselves and learning to love ourselves through these experiences, Right. right? As we close here, CG, I'd love to know what you think is at risk. and when we slap our it's fine, it's whatever on our sexual trauma, what do you think that does to, to somebody? That touches something like deep inside because I did that to myself for so long. It's fine. I can handle it. It's not affecting me, whatever. And what I was missing was the fullness of life. Right? I was still in the curled up protective position saying, no, I'm free. Look at all this stuff. Once I was actually able to engage, I was able to gain this sense of like myself and life and like actually have joy and freedom and all of these good things that I thought were off limits to me. I thought that this much joy was this much joy because I didn't have any other context for it. And I think what we potentially miss out on is recognizing that like there's so much, there's just so much in this world that we have. There's so much goodness and love and joy and all of these things. But if we're curled up and protecting and not being willing to open up to those things, then how much are we limiting our own lives? And that's what I think we end up missing out on. So CG, I just want to thank you so much for being 
open to sharing your experiences, to talk about how you navigate this with other people. I'm so thankful for you and I can't wait to see what you do. Yes, thank you so much. I'm so glad that you asked me to do this. It's been wonderful. It wasn't your fault. You are not alone. There is help for you. There are people who want to support you. We don't have to schlep through our trauma alone. Louder Than Silence offers EMDR therapy in partnership with a mentor program and workshops where small groups of survivors discuss common struggles we have. You can find CG and her organization Louder Than Silence on Instagram at louderthansilence.org. I've put several ways for you to contact CG in the show notes. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being with me today. It means the absolute world that you would spend time listening to this podcast. Share this podcast with anyone who you think could benefit from the message of not settling for fine anymore. Share it with your sister, your cousin, your friend, your mom, your dog, your partner. I don't care. I would love to get the word out about why we don't have to settle for fine anymore. I can't wait to see you again next week. Talk soon.